It's Thursday, September 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker and Charlie Travers. Happy Thursday. Hey, Chris. Thank you, Chris. A rainy Thursday. A little rainy. Yeah. You know what? That's fine, given the, the string of awesome weather we've had. And, and are going to have this weekend. Are we? Supposedly, yeah. Hope you didn't just jinx us. Uh, we're going to talk drones. We're going to talk about online sports media, because that is uh, very much in the news. And we'll dip into the full mailbag. But let's begin with Bendgate. Yes, Bendgate, which refers to the brand new iPhones, uh, the iPhone 6, which, uh, check me if I'm wrong, Charlie, but it seemed like two weeks ago when Apple had their event, people were falling all over themselves to praise Apple and the new lightweight design. And now it seems like people cannot bring the hate fast enough on these phones that are bending. For good reason, Chris. That's <laughs> kind of a problem if your phone bends. And the uh, response to not put it in your pocket actually isn't really all that helpful. I'm not really sure where else I'm supposed to carry my phone. Um, Is not, that the response from the company? Is this like when Steve Jobs... Uh, about the antenna, you're about, holding your phone wrong? Yeah, you're just holding the phone wrong. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, quite at that level. Um, I do think some of the issues around this phone launch have been a little overblown. There's problems every launch, and people still buy these hand over fist. Um, I think it's unfortunate if your phone bends on you, but uh, you know I don't see this as a damage to the brand in the long run. You also have the problems with the new operating system, iOS 8. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we were talking about this earlier today, Bill. It, it does seem like while these are meaningful problems, and certainly if your phone bends to the point where it's breaking, if iOS 8 crashes your phone and you have to de- deal with that, uh, that's a nuisance. But it, it's hard for me to imagine that either one of these is going to materially hurt either the business or the stock. Uh, well, I guess it depends on your measurement of, of material. I, I agree with the software. I, I mean, it, that comes across in uh, coverage as a glitch, right? And I don't know how to measure, measure a glitch, but that that's kind of small. A, a phone that is actually bending and that you need to <laughs> devise new ways to carry around with you rather than the one you, the only one you're ever going to do, right? right? Um, that you need a new contraption to in order to carry your phone around. Uh, that... That strikes me as a, a potentially more significant issue if they have to, in any way, redesign uh, some aspect of the hardware. Uh, but I think the software glitch is a a story, a big story for lots of people. If they're you know need to know how to uh, get around the problems that that some software bug has, uh, that'll get covered and people will adapt quickly to that. It's a whole new market for anti-bending cases to go along with the ones <laughs> to protect their just remarkably fragile screens, as I know from personal experience. Oh my God! Well, it, it, you know, yesterday when Jim Gillies were, was here, we were talking about BlackBerry's new phone, uh, the Passport, which, while the reviews that I saw gave it points for certain features, that sort of thing. One of the common criticisms of the new BlackBerry phone, and I've seen it with uh, some of the bigger uh, Samsung and Apple phones as well, is just, hey, this is now getting too big for me to carry in my pocket. And and I I do think it is something that designers will need to think carefully about, because you're right. I mean, if either because the phone is going to break, or either because, you know what, this is no longer this does not easily fit in my pocket anymore. And now I have to think about 
well, where am I going to carry this thing? Because I really don't want to be one of those people who has like a belt that did like you, you saw people with beat <laughs> right. or something like that, where it's like, oh, I'll just hitch this, you know, on. Um, I don't know. Do you think the 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 stock getting? I know the market is down slightly today, but uh, Apple being down three percent, that kind of thing. I don't know. It it just seems like an overreaction. Uh, I would totally agree with that. The FAA is expected to announce today that it is granting permits to seven movie and TV production companies to fly drones. Um, the reports, Bill, are that uh, these uh, permits will come with limitations, including that the uh, drones only be used on closed sets uh, and operated by a three-person team, including a trained drone operator. I, apparently, is that a degree you can get now? Is that a license you get? I, I'm sure they're coming up with it, right? I mean, they're, they're, they are sort of making it up as they go along, uh, because this is a new use for a previously existing technology. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I would bet that it's within one standard deviation of the number of operators you need to, like trained animal operators <laughs> you need to have per animal. Like there's one bear trainer for all of Hollywood. And if you're using a bear in your movie, you go to this guy. Do you think it's, it's like one? Like if you've got a bear, an actual, like a non-CGI bear? Yeah. Because I think like with a CGI bear, you'd, one trainer is enough. I would think. Yeah, I, I would think so. Real bear. I'd be surprised if it, if it was only one. No, it is. It's a guy in Montana who has a bear on a farm and he trains it for Hollywood. Can and we get anytime the there's a bear needed in a movie, he gets a call. And he's. Does, does I'm he, like 98 percent like sure of this. One person operation. One person operation. Cool. Uh, bear versus drone. Bear versus. I'm drone. taking drone. Are you really <laughs> yes. drone? Well, if it's unarmed. If it's within, like, arm's reach, that, see, that's the thing. The drone can stay away from the bear, right? Yeah. Unless they're flying bears. That's a whole Then I'm taking thing. the bear. Um, let's, let's get back to this actual story. <laughs> yes. um, first, do we actually believe— Is there a story here? No, there, there is. is. Okay. We'll, get to the, we'll, we'll get to sort of the, the, you know, the people who are watching this the most closely, because I guarantee you it's not the TV and, production, uh, and movie production companies. But do we really expect that these movie and TV companies are going to stick to this, oh, we'll only use it on a closed set? I don't believe that for a second. If I'm a movie production company and I get the green light for the FAA, from the FAA to use flying drones, like the first month I'm using it on a closed set, and then I'm just like, what is the FAA? What are they going to send their cops after me? Isn't the whole point of the technology is that you're not on a closed set? That yeah. You're in like wide open area and have the availability to do like these grandiose shots. I don't. I don't know, but I think the legal liability if something goes wrong is going to be. Uh, first and foremost, you know, in the minds of, of these guys, right? So I, I, the assumption that they'll just blow off the rules after a couple of weeks, while I, I like the you know dismissal of of, <laughs> of, of their rule following abilities, I, I would tend to think that the the lawyers will be out there. So let's get to the companies that are also watching this very closely, and I have to believe on the short list is FedEx, UPS, and Amazon.com. Um, because how long do these movie and production and TV production companies? How long do they have to have a clean record before Amazon, before Jeff Bezos is calling up the FAA and saying, "Okay, come on, guys, let's let's expand this 
not to, the entertainment industry. They tested this for a few months. We didn't have any incidents. We didn't have any lawsuits. Everything's fine. Let's give me the green light to start using this. How many months, Charlie? <laughs> I'll set the over. That under was a direct question. Four months. Four months. I'll take the over. Take the over. I'll take the over. It'll be more than four months from now or from the first use before Amazon is is in any way publicly agitating for for its own slice of that. Uh, but I, I think they have a, an obviously vested interest in this going well, and probably. Uh, since they have looked into it, you know, probably throwing their people, you know, to Hollywood as, as you know, that we've studied the issues and from this particular uh, vantage, and you know, make sure you keep in mind some of the things that they've been able to test. But to go back to the story with Apple and the glitches, this also seems like one of those technologies where. There can't be any glitches. I think anyone who is used to dealing with a computer is used to periodically getting software updates, and it's like, oh, just down. This is a patch, you know, for Adobe or you know, Microsoft OS, Apple iOS, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If there are glitches with flying drones right out of the bat, then th- that sets this industry back almost immediately, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there would be a totally disproportionate weight put on something like that as opposed to, you know, the kinds of injuries that are sustained r- routinely, you know, in, in film and TV production. And there are plenty of safe, safety precautions, but things go wrong uh, in, in any part uh, of life. And, and something will go wrong sooner or later, uh Perhaps very soon, and perhaps you know, not for a while with, with drones. No matter how careful everybody is, and and when that happens, it'll be drone gate, <laughs> and the bear wins. And the bear wins. <laughs> uh, we have talked in the past in this room about companies bidding for talent, and uh, often that comes in the form of a CEO moving from one company to another. But um, but I think we we may see this unfolding over the next month. Um, with uh, editorial talent, and I'm referring to Bill Simmons. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Bill Simmons is a very popular uh, columnist for ESPN. Um, and I say columnist because that's really how he started at ESPN. Um, but he has uh, grown in popularity and, I, I would argue, in power uh, to the point where he has one of the most popular podcasts available. Um, he's the co-founder uh, of the uh, award-winning 30 for 30 documentary uh, series that ESPN did, uh, and he runs Grantland, uh, which is sort of a, a satellite website that ESPN runs. Uh, and Bill Simmons is very much in the news because ES- uh, ESPN has suspended him for three weeks for some comments he made on uh, his podcast on Monday about Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. Uh, and Simmons, uh, I'll just read directly because I was listening. I, I, I was listening to this podcast yesterday, uh, and then several hours later, learned that he had been suspended. Um, but uh, he was talking about Roger Goodell and the press conference he had last Friday, where he was asked directly about uh, the videotape of. Ray Rice, the running back who knocked his wife unconscious in an elevator. Um, And I'm quoting from Bill Simmons. Roger Goodell, if he didn't know what was on that tape, he's a liar. I'm just saying it. He is lying. I think that dude is lying. If you put him up on a lie detector test, that guy would fail. Um, 
And I think if Bill Simmons had kind of just stopped right there, he might not be suspended. But then he went on to say, I'm really hoping somebody calls me or emails me or says I'm in trouble for anything I say about Roger Goodell, because if one person says that to me, I'm going public, you leave me alone. Uh, He was referring to his overlords at ESPN. And um, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that essentially he dared them uh, to punish him. And they took him up on the dare. Okay, it sounds. I mean, you're kind of phrasing this in, in a Simmons um, uh, perspective way by by referring to them as overlords, <laughs> his bosses, his, his boss. His, oh, his I bosses. see. That, that, that makes it sound his entirely bosses, different. His bosses at ESPN. Uh, yeah. Well, I I think he he knows about getting suspended over there. Right? It's happened I mean, before, twice it, before. What it takes, and um, you know, maybe he's uh, interested in in seeing it happen again. He certainly didn't seem too worried, uh, daring them basically. Uh, so, uh, mission accomplished, I think. <laughs> so here's where the investing angle comes in, because of all the comments I saw on Twitter about this, and there were a wide range of them, the ones that were of greatest interest to me were the business angle, where people were saying, hey, if I'm Rupert Murdoch, or if I'm Marissa Mayer, I'm getting in touch with Bill Simmons' agent and saying, come on over to Fox Sports, come on over to Yahoo Sports. And this is a guy who delivers a lot of eyeballs for ESPN. Granted, it is under the Disney umbrella, so on a percentage basis, it is not hugely meaningful to Disney's quarterly earnings. But again, if you're looking to make a splash and you're trailing the market leader in ESPN, if you're Fox Sports, CBS, NBC Sports, Yahoo Sports, why wouldn't they give him a call and see what is it going to take to get you to come on over to our place? I, and I, I do think it is to the benefit of especially like a Fox Sports who's trying to catch ESPN hard uh, to give a guy like Bill Simmons a call. Um, ESPN, uh, whether he's there or not, I think they're fine. I mean, they've had personalities for decades come and go. Right. Not not that big a deal in the grand scheme of thing on their end. I I would think you know, given his long history with ESPN, that it, it, even given uh, that some of the history includes suspensions, that there's uh, probably uh, a, a closer relationship there than can be broken quickly by by Fox Sports or especially Yahoo, which really couldn't give him the access to some of the things that I'm sure he finds uh, a, a very positive part of his career at ESPN um, between the personalities and the game. Just, you know, ESPN and, is so And doing uh, b- basketball games, uh, NBA games on ABC and ESPN. Yeah, and, and he just loves sports, right? So I, I think that they have the opportunity to uh, work something out um if if anything does need to be worked out, this is all speculation. But uh, you know he he's a uh, he's a big part of uh, you know their online presence, and and I think that they they won't uh, damage things too much behind the scenes. But there there are rules that he likes to break, right? And I I don't know if if. Uh, he can break all of them uh, elsewhere, probably more easily at Yahoo. I, th- I think the rule he broke this time was daring yeah. <laughs> daring his bosses to discipline him. I actually don't think anything he said up to that point would have gotten him this suspension because there are other people you know, there are other people at ESPN who have and, and 
you know, someone, I don't remember who, someone else made a great point on Twitter, which was, if he had said the exact same thing about the commissioner of the National Hockey League, which is a league that ESPN does not have a financial relationship with, then this is not a story at all. But it's because ESPN is, is you know, this is a billion-dollar partnership they have with the NFL. So, you know, that's that's where it's meaningful. But come on, let's face it. Yahoo! with their newfound billions from Alibaba and Fox, they've both spent a lot more money in a lot worse ways than to, <laughs> than to, go, to, than to go to Bill Simmons with a blank check and say, come on over to our place. And, and they will again. <laughs> uh, before we get to our mailbag, uh, I want to mention once again, we have a special offer for Market Foolery listeners. Uh, and it's for our flagship service, which is Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Um, and you can check it out just by going to marketfoolery.fool.com. Uh, Stock Advisor, great way to get started investing. So, uh, so check it out. Marketfoolery.fool.com. Oktoberfest has officially begun in Germany, um, which I guess you know what, Charlie. I, 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 as a non-beer drinker, maybe I shouldn't be surprised that Oktoberfest begins before October actually begins. But, um, but more importantly. Fred Toberfest is just around the corner. Uh, I got an email from Fred Gaddis in St. Charles, Missouri, and he included um, the PDF, the invitation, which I hold up for our tens of, of viewers, uh, to the 11th annual wor- world famous beer festival known as Fred Toberfest. Are they all now invited, the tens of viewers? Uh, no, but we are. Oh, okay. Uh, so let me. So just, you're sort of taunting the viewers. I just, I didn't know. I'm, like, I'm not taunting. Here's a party invite that you don't have. I'm just holding it up as proof we actually got the invite, and it's a nice looking invite. Um, but uh, Fred uh, sent an email along, uh, which I'll read part of. He just wrote, uh, "Once again, it's that time of year, and as always, you guys are invited. It's, it's a good time for Charlie to get back to his roots. And if Chris comes, I will personally try to obtain his favorite bourbon, uh, if he doesn't, uh, or a Jefferson's Presidential year, uh, Select Twenty One Year, if he doesn't have one to suggest. Boy, I haven't had that one. Ooh. That sounds great. Just the it name does. alone sounds great. Um, no need to mention this on the podcast since you guys have been so generous already with your fee- free publicity, and I don't want to cause a storm of everyone sending you invites to their parties just so they can get mentioned on air. I don't think we have a problem with getting invites, do we? No. You, you could handle up to tens of the invites uh, a yeah, year. Yeah. Um, keep up the great work educating, amusing, and enriching. It's my favorite podcast, and I try to recruit more listeners daily for you guys. By the way, I mostly listen to you on the drive to work or while mowing the yard with the addition of where the money is. I get a little bit behind, but I love catching up on the weekend. Uh, so, thank you, Fred, um, for the invite, and, and have a great time. This is October 4th. We will not be there, unfortunately. Um, but uh, but we sent along a, a little swag to you know for for Fred uh, and his guests to enjoy. Um, uh, do do you have a a, a beer recommendation? Because I can't recommend beer because like a fall beer because I'm I'm not a beer drinker. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not an educated or snobbish beer drinker. <laughs> it's I wasn't of, suggesting you were snobbish. I mean, I, if somebody were to take my recommendations seriously, it would it would just you know be of, of zero value to them. You, there are people in this office that that could add value. Um, you're, you're, I think Charlie's one of them. Yes, I, I just might be one of them, and I will recommend the brewery from my hometown of St. Louis, where Fred is at. Uh, it's the Schlafly Brewery, and they're just now distributing on the East Coast. I think within the last year. Uh, anything you could get from them is going to be very good. I particularly like the coffee stout. There seemed to be this week a, a, a 
people very up in arms, not a lot of people, but some people very up in arms over this story that I know you guys saw that a Russian company um, bought Pabst Blue Ribbon, which, again, not a beer drinker, but I hear while it has a certain cult appeal it's not necessarily the you know a a super high quality beer was that did that cross your radar at all was that was uh, it, like that seemed like one of those things that all i could think was i don't th- this seems like the american beer drinkers uh, version of uh, canadians getting upset about tim hortons being bought by burger king it just seemed like okay are you really that upset that a russian company owns Pabst Blue Ribbon, and it seemed like some people actually were. I would think that the, the Tim Hortons, which I think of uh, as being much more central to Canada's self-identity uh, than Pabst is to ours in the U.S. Much less uproar than when uh, Anheuser-Busch was bought by InBev. I think that was yeah. a much bigger uproar. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a fair comparison. Um and and if if the Russians want PBR, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would think most people, uh, other than those that drink it for the you know the irony uh, uh, of the experience, uh, you know, would say good riddance. We'll wrap up there. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.